I'm uh, really thankful for you being here, Jay. Um, just a few days ago, we celebrated the adoption day of our son uh, four years ago, and also on the exact same day, the adoption day of my sister, who's here today, a little more than four years ago. And uh, this is the only thing I'm going to say, is that fostering and adopting um, changed my life. You know, I'm not even going to talk about what it may or may have done for my son and my sister, but it changed my life. And God has used that to open my eyes more clearly to the beauty of his gospel. And so I want to, um, I want to implore you and plead with you um, to pray about uh, whether God might desire to use you um, in, in this way somehow. And I guarantee you it will, um, it will change your life. I guarantee you it won't be easy, um, uh, but I, I encourage you to pray about it. And if that's something the Lord's calling you to, um, to step out in faith um, and, uh, and take that adventure with the Lord. Um, it's, uh, it's been such a blessing for me and for, for Katie and our family. So uh, thanks again, Jay, for being here. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor. Um, if you have an elementary age child near you, if you just kind of lay a hand on them, we're going to pray for our kids uh, before we dismiss them. Uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna pray for ourselves too. So, uh, Father, thank you for thank you for the gift of of children um, that you have that you have given us. Thank you that you have chosen us and allowed us to be stewards of them, God. But we recognize that they belong to you, and um, and so I pray that as we send them back to their classes this morning, that you would speak clearly to them. Um, that you would draw them and call them unto yourself, that you would open their eyes to the glory of the gospel in Christ Jesus, um, that, you would, that you would make them come alive, that you would make them new creations so that they could live and follow after you all the days of their lives, Lord. Um, I pray that they would hear clearly the gospel this morning and respond to it, Father. And I pray for, for each one of us um, that you would that you would help us, Lord, um, to have ears to hear what it is that you are saying to your church this morning. Um, we don't want to just show up here and go through the motions and then go on home and watch our football games and eat our food and do whatever we do. God, we want to come here and we want to hear your word to us and we want to be forever changed and transformed. And so I pray that you would be at work in our hearts that you would open our ears and open our eyes um, to, to behold you and to hear your word clearly, God. And I pray that you would transform each and every one of us more and more into your likeness, into your image. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you can head on to the back. Um, and you guys are dismissed. We are, uh, we are in part nine this morning. Um, of our what we believe series so we are we are drawing very close to the end here and uh this morning we have the privilege of talking about the church and uh we're in a church so it's probably good that we know what we believe about the church right so we're going to look at that this morning and i want to start as we've been doing by reading our statement of belief concerning the church here at northridge so this one's a little bit of a long one uh so listen with me if you would we believe in a universal church made up of those who have become genuine followers of Jesus Christ and have personally appropriated the gospel. We believe the church exists to worship and glorify God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
that it also exists to serve him by faithfully doing his will in the earth. That this involves a commitment to see the gospel preached and churches planted in the entire world for a testimony. That the ultimate mission of the church is worship. And the means by which this is accomplished is the making of disciples through the preaching and embracing of the gospel. We believe that when God transforms human nature, this then becomes the chief means of society's transformation. We believe all members of the church universal are to be a vital and committed part of a local church. That in this context they are called to walk out the new covenant as the people of God and demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God. That the ascended Christ has given gift ministries to the church, including apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of Christ's body, that it might mature and grow, and that through the gift ministries, all members of the church are to be restored and equipped for the work of the ministry, employing their God-given gifts in his service in relation to one another and to the world. Did you get all that? <clears throat> there's, there's a little bit there, right? Um, and uh, it's it's certainly a challenge to talk about the church in 40 minutes or so. Um, but let's break it down by asking a few really important questions that we want to answer this morning. And that is, what is the church or or who belongs to the church or who makes up the church? Uh, what is the purpose of the church? What are we here for? Why did God put us here? And if I am indeed a member of the church, then what now? What does that mean uh, for me and what I'm supposed to be doing? It can it can be challenging to talk about the church, because when I say the word church, a lot of you are thinking about a lot of different things a lot of the time. Right. So we know that in, in Matthew 16, Jesus tells his disciples that he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that in Matthew 28, Jesus commissions his followers to go out to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, and to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. And he says, he says I will be with you to the end of the age. Uh, we know that in Acts chapter 22, the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost. We know that 3,000 people are added to the church on that day. As the gospel is proclaimed and then throughout the rest of the book of the uh, of the book of Acts, we read how the gospel spreads, how the church grows throughout the Roman Empire, despite oftentimes very severe persecution. Right. But then move ahead a little bit. We get into about the fourth century. We start to see some pretty serious divisions within the church. Right. So on, on one hand, we have the Western church in Rome. And we have the Eastern Church centered in Constantinople. And the Western Church is saying, well, you know, we have the Pope and the Pope is the ultimate authority. And you need to listen and to obey the Pope. And he has say over everyone. The Eastern Church is saying, well, you know, we're not so interested in that. We don't really agree with that. And so finally, in 1054, we have an official split between the Western Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Greek Orthodox Church. And so all of a sudden, we've got two churches, right? Um, and then in 1517, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther nails his 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg and calls for reformation, right? He's saying, hey, the Catholic church is doing things that we don't agree with scripturally. 
Things like selling church positions and selling indulgences so that people can get out of purgatory and go to heaven more quickly. Saying, no, we we don't believe this. The scripture does not support this. And so he called for reform, a return to right doctrine, justification by faith, not by works, right? The scripture is our authority, not the pope. But even then in the reformed tradition, we start to get different branches of that. And then the Church of England splits from the Catholic Church. And then the Puritans split from the Church of England. And they come here to the U.S. among other places. And then within Protestantism itself, we have now hundreds of denominations. And within each denomination, we have sub-denominations, right? And so today we're at a point where, where we, have, we have mega churches now with food courts and amusement parks. And we have, we have home churches that consist of only a few members. We have... We have traditional looking churches with stained glass windows and we have we have modern looking churches and we have people that don't meet in buildings at all. And we have drive in churches and we have movie theater churches. And and now recently I heard about virtual reality church where you sit at your computer with a, a little I don't know those virtual reality things and you're you're a little character on a screen and that's church for some people now. Right. We've got churches with choirs and organs and churches with rock bands and churches that that don't use instruments at all. And we've got suit and tie churches and biker churches and hipster churches. And I mean, I could go on all morning, right? Uh, we have groups like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses who who say, well, well, we're a church. In fact, we're the true church. And now here we are at Northridge in Lubbock, Texas. That has about a billion churches just in our one town here, right? A non-denominational, reformed, gospel-centered church. Um, So you can maybe see why there's sometimes some confusion when we talk about the church. What are we, in fact, talking about? Where do we start? So um, last week, if you were here, Pastor Mark preached about the kingdom of God. And we said that the kingdom of God is God's kingly rule and reign. It's, it's an already not yet kingdom. It's where, it's where heaven meets earth. So um, we can say then that, that if, if the kingdom of God is God's kingly rule and reign, then the church is the community of that kingdom. The church is not the same thing as the kingdom, but the church are those who have entered in to the kingdom of God. We can say that the church is the community then of all true believers for all times because the scripture is absolutely clear that you will not inherit the kingdom of God unless you are a believer, right? So listen, um, that means that you can go to church your entire life and never be a part of the church. Um, Some of you show up here almost every week And then you go home and you continue in your life of sin without believing the gospel, without giving Jesus lordship of your life, without trusting in him for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you are not part of the church. Um, I can I could go to Texas Tech University and I could walk around and hang out there. And and that doesn't make me a part of the university. Right. Um, I I can go every day and I can buy the T-shirt. And I can go to the football games and I could probably even sneak into some of the classes and listen to lectures and show up to student gatherings. But listen, unless I have enrolled and paid and my name is officially registered, 
I'm not part of the school. I'm pretending, right? Um, You might come every week. You might take communion. You might even go to a life group. But unless you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are not part of his church. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus loved the church and he gave himself up for her, indicating that the church consists of all those whom Christ has died to redeem. That means that Old Testament believers like like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Joshua, Daniel are part of God's church, even though in their day the church didn't exist like it does today. So the church is universal, we can say. The church is universal, consisting of all true believers who have lived, who are living, who will live. But we also meet in local churches, right? We're here today in a place that, that we call a church. So how do, how do we define or how do we recognize what a real or what a true church is? In, uh, in response to, to, the, to the Reformation, um, the Lutherans came out with a confession of faith called the Augsburg Confession. Here's what they have to say. It says, there is one holy Christian church, and it is found wherever the gospel is preached and in its, tr- uh, wherever the gospel is preached in its truth and purity. And the sacraments, referring to baptism and communion, are administered according to the gospel. Uh, John Calvin says very similarly, another one of the reformers, that wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. So we don't recognize a true church by its style of music or by how people dress or by how casual or formal the services are, or by what kind of building they meet in, or whether they meet in a building at all. But a true church is one that purely preaches the good news of the gospel of Jesus and administers baptism and communion the way that Jesus commanded us to do it. So we could conclude then that the Jehovah's Witness Church is not a true church because, along with other things, they teach... That Jesus was created by God. That's a problem. That's a really big problem, right? They reject the Trinity. They worship Jehovah as the true God. And Jesus was the first of the creation who then created everything else. Well, that's a rejection of the gospel, right? Similarly, the Mormon church, again, among many other things, teach salvation by works. So if you want to be saved, you got to do this, 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 and this. And then if you want to be extra saved and make it to like the higher tier of heaven, then you got to go on missionary journeys. You got to you got to do all these things if you want to be saved. That is a rejection of the gospel, and that's why here at Northridge, our greatest commitment will always be to the proclamation of the gospel. That's it, right? Our commitment is not to having flashier, more exciting, more entertaining worship services. Our commitment is not to having more and better programs than the church down the road so that people will come here instead of there. Our commitment is to gospel proclamation because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, right? And so when you come in here, the one thing you're going to get is you're going to get the gospel, Right. And when you send your kids back to their classes, you're not sending them back for babysitting or to hear a nice moral lesson. You're sending them back to hear the proclamation of the gospel. That is our absolute commitment. So we can say then that the church consists of all true believers 
and that true churches are found where the gospel is purely preached. But, but what, is, what is the purpose of the church? Why did, why did God create the church? Why, why are we here? What are we called to do? Right? That's, that's important that we, that we know that and that we can answer that. And, and to answer that, I want to start in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, let's look at verses 11 and 14, what Paul has to say here. It says, Ephesians 1, 11 to 14, In him we have obtained an inheritance in Christ, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... Speaking to the church, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul is, Paul is unveiling to the Ephesian church the glory of of God's plan of salvation for their lives. How, how the Father has chosen and adopted them. How, how the Son has redeemed them. And how the Holy Spirit has sealed them. And it's according to the counsel of God's will, Paul says. Meaning that you're not saved today because of you or because of somebody else. You are chosen, redeemed, and sealed because it was God's good pleasure to save you according to his will. When Katie and I decided to have kids, um, they didn't have any say in it, right? Um, they were brought into the family, but that they were not consulted. Um, does that make sense? It was, it was God's purpose, God's purpose to save you, to save his church. Um, but why did he do it, right? That's, that's always what we want to know. You know, what, what is God? So we know that, that God created the world and we know that, that God, God called us and chose us and redeemed us and sealed us. Why did he do it? Right? What's the purpose? Paul says it over and over and over again in Ephesians 1. The purpose of all that God has done is the praise of his glory. That's it. The praise of his glory. In other words, the purpose of the church is worship. The purpose of the church is worship. Because if we boil it down, worship means ascribing glory to something. So when the psalmist says in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And then in the very next line, he says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He's not telling us to do two different things there, right? But ascribing glory to the Lord is synonymous with worshiping him. And to worshiping God means to proclaim both in word and in action that he is supreme, that he is of greatest worth, that nothing compares to his beauty and majesty, that there's nothing that we desire more than him, right? Uh, the, the parable of the merchant and the pearl, Matthew 13 45 and 46. We've, we've heard this before. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this merchant has been looking and searching for this pearl and he finally finds it. And he's so excited that he sells everything he has so that he can have that pearl. Now, what do you think he did with that thing when he got home? Do you think he took that pearl and kind of hit it in the sock drawer and said, well, eh, no one's going to want to see this old thing. Um, I'm just going to put it away and 
uh, you know, it can it can just sit in my drawer for the rest of my existence. Do you think that's what he did with his pearl that he gave up everything to find? Or do you think maybe he called his friends and, and called his family and said, "Look what I have! Look what I have! It it cost me everything, but it's so worth it, and I'd do it all again." The purpose of the church is to shout loudly to the world, "Look what we have!" Look what we have. And we proclaim the worth and the value of Jesus to the world by joyfully doing what Jesus has called us to do. Right? Uh, so often when we think about worship, we think, we think about it in terms of, you know, external signs and exhibitions and, you know, so forth. So we show up to church and we start singing, right? The band starts playing. We look over and there's that guy over there that's, you know... He's doing, he's doing this one, and we think, well, that guy's not worshiping, right? But then a couple rows back from him, you know, we've, we've got kind of the timid worshiper. You know, they're, they're, they're not way up here, but they're, you know, a little, little bit of this. Like, I don't want to go too crazy, but, you know, I want to do a little bit. And we, oh, well, you know, that person's worshiping a little better, right? But then next to that person is, you know, is the one that's, that's going all out, right? And they've got the hands spread wide, and they're singing really loud. And, and we say, well, well, that's more like it now, right? Now, there's, there's an even better worshiper, all right? But a few rows back from that lady, we've got the guy. You don't even have to open your eyes to know he's there because you feel the floor reverberating because he's jumping up and down and he's, he's yelling and screaming, right? And we think, well, man, now that is, that is a true worshiper there. But listen, church, I, I don't care if you are backflipping down the aisles, Blues Brothers style. If you, listen, if you are not going home and joyfully and faithfully obeying Jesus and what he's told you to do, then you're not a worshiper. You're not. Listen, I love it when my kids bring me little drawings, right, that they did at school or they did at home. Uh, half the fun is figuring out what it is. <clears throat> and, and Jude is the best because he does little scribbles. And basically, whatever you say it is, he's like, yeah, that's what it is, <laughs> right? So I get the little scribbles from him. I'm like, oh, it's a stormtrooper riding a dinosaur. He's like, yep. <laughs> and uh, I love it. It's, it's awesome. Um, right? Parents, parents can relate. Um, it's, it's, it's great to get those things from your kids. But you know what's even better? You know what's even better than that is when my kids listen and they obey what I ask them to do. That's even better. See, so often, so often we, we bring Jesus, our little drawings, in our little pictures, we say, here you go, Jesus, put it on your fridge. But then we go home and we do what we want to do. And we completely ignore what it is that he's told us to do and what he's called us to do. And when we do that, we are failing to ascribe him the glory that he is due. We love and honor and glorify God by obeying him joyfully, faithfully. And what Jesus has told the church to do is to make disciples, right? Make disciples. So we worship God as we extol his glory by joyfully obeying his command to make disciples of all nations. That is the purpose of the church. And we make disciples by proclaiming the gospel, right? Which, as we've already said, is one of the marks of a true church. Now, before we move on, we've, we've got to be clear here. And that is, is that we do not build the church Right. Pastor Mark and the elders do not build the church. Again, Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, if, if the church were yours and my work, Satan would come and knock it over, right? But it's precisely because Jesus has built it that the gates of hell will not and cannot prevail against it. Um, you know, as I was reading church history, and, uh, and, and a lot of scholars, they, they say, this doesn't make sense to us, right? Um, after, after Jesus was ascended, many of the, or just about all the apostles were martyred. The church faced severe times of persecution, and yet it was growing. Right? I mean, how many of you, so, so you've not heard the gospel before, and I come here and I say, all right, I want you to follow Jesus. Um, before you raise your hand, though, just know that it's highly likely that you will be arrested, and you're going to be separated from your family, and you're going to lose everything that you own, and there's, there's a decent chance that you'll get tossed to the lions or burned alive. Um, who wants to follow Jesus, right? And so the church is under severe persecution, and it's growing. And scholars admit that they don't really know how that happened, right? But we know how it happened, right? Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus builds his church. Jesus regenerates spiritually dead people. Jesus opens blind eyes to the glory of the gospel that we might call on his name. Jesus builds his church, but, but because, because he's so good and so loving, he, he allows us to be involved in what he's doing, which is really cool. Listen to Romans, Romans 10, 14 and 15. Paul, Paul writes, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So God, God has ordained that his church will be built through the proclamation of his gospel to all the nations. This is why we plant churches. This is why we send missionaries both locally and internationally. This is why we're going to take a missions offering at the end of the service today. We worship God by joyfully and faithfully obeying his commission. So the church consists of all true believers for all time. And the purpose of the church is to worship God by obeying his command to make disciples. So what about me? And what about you? Um, how do I fit into all this? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, let's talk about that for a moment. See, uh, we believe that if you claim to be a believer, a part of God's universal church, then you must be a vital and committed part of the local church. See, you can't take Jesus without the church. doesn't work that way. First um, John 4, 20, 21 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, John is writing to the church. And when he uses the term brother, he's talking about fellow believers in the church. Okay? And so John is saying, if we say that we love God and we reject the church, then we're a liar. That's what John's saying there. The reality is... And, and here's the thing, I, I hear this all the time. Well, man, I love God so much, but I have no use for the church, right? I love God, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, but the church is not for me. And John says, if you claim to love God and you reject his church, if we do that, then we're liars. Because when God saved us, 
He didn't save us to be little saved individuals. He saved us into a family, right? He saved us into a body. And you can't love Jesus and reject and ignore his body. You can't do that. And there's two primary reasons I want to give you this morning um, why it's absolutely necessary that you are fully committed 100% for the local church. And a part of the local church. Uh, the first is that is that the local church is the God-designed context in which we glorify Him by living out the gospel. You can't live out the gospel in isolation because that's not how God designed you. That's not what He created you for. That's not what He saved you into. Paul says in Ephesians three that the mystery of God's saving plan that was hidden for ages is now made manifest through the church. And so the gospel is revealed and made manifest through the church. Or in other words, the church is a living theater for God's reconciling work through his son. The good news of the gospel is not just that we have been reconciled to God, but that we've been reconciled to one another. That's the entire point of Ephesians 2, where, where Paul says, you know, we used to have Jew and Gentile who lived in enmity towards each other, but the dividing wall of hostility has been broken, and there is now one new man. That's why Paul can say that there is no longer Jew and Greek, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So the church is the lens through which the world will behold the radical reconciling work of Jesus. The world should the world should look at the church and they should see a group of very diverse people, oftentimes with seemingly not much in common who radically and self-sacrificially love each other, and it shouldn't make sense to them, right? It should be confounding to them. Take me for example. Um, I'm from Oregon originally. No, no clapping there? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm from Portland originally, uh, one, one of, if not the most liberal city in the United States. Um, and I grew up in Europe in a socialist country, which is a bad word around these parts, right? Um, and here I am in a church full of Texans. And, you know, sometimes I don't fit into Texas that well. Um, I don't like barbecue. Um, I'm proving a point here. I, I don't really like Mexican food that much either. Um, just, just, being, just being honest. Um, I do not like country music at all. I don't like Texas country either. I don't like it. Um, I, I did not even know who George Strait was until I moved here. And I, I don't think I missed out on that much, to be honest. Um, I like soccer better than football. Thank you. I don't drive a pickup. I don't really have any desire to own one. I'm not really that into guns, and I don't like John Wayne movies. Listen, I could go on and on here. Um, but the point is, is that you guys still love me. Uh, and, uh, and this is the part where you affirm that. Say, yes, we do. Right? Thank you. And, uh, and, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little silly. Right? But, but in all seriousness, the church should be a place where we see a successful businessman and a homeless man radically loving and self-sacrificially serving each other unto the glory of God. And the world should see that and it should baffle them. 
They shouldn't be able to explain that. So what is going on in this place, right? God glorifies himself through the local church as we live out the gospel together. And listen, if we're casual about the church, then we're being casual about God's glory. Um, Here's the second thing. There are a lot of metaphors used throughout the New Testament to describe the church, um, but probably the most common and the most well-known is uh, the body, right? We are the body of Christ. And uh, this is exciting for me to talk about because I'm a physical therapist, and I spend my days studying and working on the human body, which is really cool, really fascinating. And I'm also a pastor, and, and I also spend my time working with the body of Christ. And so it's kind of like my two worlds are sort of colliding here, and I'm excited about it. Um, it's really cool. So uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and see what Paul has to say about the church and about the body. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. As I said, I'm a, I'm a physical therapist, and I've been working and studying the human body for many, many years now. And in all, of, in all of my years of study and practice, I've learned a couple of very profound things about the body that I want to share with you this morning. Um, here's the first one. Uh, every part is important. Every part. And along with that, second thing is... When one part doesn't work, the whole body suffers. Um, I treated a man recently who had his big toe amputated. And uh, you might say, well, at least it's just a toe, right? It's not that big a deal. And we've got nine more, um, so how important can it be? Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's really small, probably not that significant. So, um, you know, not, not a huge deal. Um, uh, but this guy, he couldn't walk. And, uh, and he couldn't balance um, because the loss of one little toe affected his entire body, uh, the entire thing. Um, you, can, you can tear one little rotator cuff muscle in your shoulder and you lose the ability to raise your entire arm, right? You can, you can herniate one little disc in your lower back and you can't even get out of bed, right? It affects the entire body. So here's the point. Um, we, we tend to look... We tend to look at people like Pastor Mark and, and Don and Daryl and Katie and Paul, and, and we think, well, those are important people, right? And the body would really suffer without them. Um, but can I tell you something? The body suffers without you. Every part, every part is crucial for the body to work the way that God designed it to work and to function. Paul says in Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians um, that God has given spiritual gifts to the church. And the purpose of those gifts, uh, Ephesians 4, is that we would be equipped for ministry and that we would grow and mature as a body unto the glory of Jesus the head as each part is doing its job and its work. 
And if you are part of the body, then God has given you unique gifts and abilities that no one else has. Um, two, two, of my, two of my very closest friends in this church, um, Paul Brooks and Robbie Abney. And uh, Paul's not here, so I can talk about him. Sorry, Robbie. I know you love attention. So um, Now, if you know Paul and Robbie, you, you probably know that their personalities are slightly different, right? <laughs> Just just a little bit, right? Um, but this is the beauty of the body of Christ. Listen, if the church was all Paul's, that wouldn't be good for the church. And if the church were all Robbie's, that wouldn't be good for the church. The reality is that God has given them specific strengths, unique giftings, and when they come together to serve together, that's when the body functions the way it's designed to function. And it's the same with you and the same with me. Listen, Pastor Mark and I have very different personalities. We have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. And same with our other elders. But as we come together and as we pursue the glory of Christ together, that's when the body's working the way that it's designed to work. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, years ago, I was, I was talking to my, my grandpa, Walt, uh, my dad's dad, and he's, he's with the Lord now. Um, uh, but uh, we were at church, and uh, I didn't get to see him a whole lot growing up because I grew up in Austria and he was in Oregon. Um, but I will never forget this interaction that we had. We were at church, and uh, we, were, we were talking about um, why we never missed church. And we never did. Um, the only excuse for missing was if you were dead, pretty much. And I, I'm not really exaggerating that much. Um, we never missed. And, uh, and so I was asking him, you know, why we never miss. You know, I, I forget. I was probably 10 or 12 or something like that. And I was probably annoyed, like I'd rather be at home playing video games or, you know, doing whatever I like to do back then. And I probably kind of asked it more like this. Why do we always have to be at church? Right. You ever kids, your kids ever ask you that? Um, And uh, I expected, uh, well, that's what good Christians do kind of answer. Right. Um, But here's here's what he said. And uh, and I'll never forget it. He said, David, um, I'm part of a body. God has made me part of a body. And uh, when I decide to just kind of stay home because I'm tired or because I'm busy, then the body suffers. Because I'm not here to do what God has created me to do. And I'll never forget that. That has stuck with me ever since then. That will stick with me um, the rest of my life. So um, let's, get, let's get real for a minute if we can. Um, the idols, the idols that, that many Americans worship, that many of us in the church pursue sometimes, um, hinder us from operating as part of the body. Um, you know, some of us, some of us aren't here very much because we're, we're pursuing the idol of career. Some of us miss out because, because we worship the idol of materialism. And so we feel that we have to live at this certain economic standard in order to, to live at that standard. We've got to work day and night. And so we're too tired. We're too busy. And the church kind of gets pushed aside, right? Some of us worship the idol of believing that our kids are going to be the next Olympic gymnast or the next LeBron James. And so they've got to practice eight days a week and we've got to travel to every out of town tournament so that they can be the best that they can be. And we miss out on being a part of the body and the body suffers. And listen, what we are loudly saying to our kids, whether we realize it or not, is that the body is not that important. And it's not really a priority, right? We're not too tired. If the week wasn't too crazy, yeah, of course, we'll go. 
you know. But if things are a little tired, you know, if things have been a little stressful, if we're a little tired, you know, we're just going to we're going to stay home and, and take it easy today. Right. And the body, the body suffers. When I was in elementary school, um, I was I was a pretty good soccer player. Um, and uh, I was uh, this was in Austria and I played for a very, very good club team. Um, and there was opportunity to kind of rise up the ranks, if you will. Um, and uh, we got to the point, though, where we were going to have to start traveling a lot of weekends, right, to tournaments. Um, and so uh, my parents said, well, we can either be committed to your soccer career or we can be committed to being a part of the body, but we can't do both. And so they took me out, and that was the end of my soccer career. Um, and uh, I thank God for that. I really do, because they instilled something in me. Now, listen, I was probably not happy about it at the time, right? I probably didn't hug them and thank them for doing that. But they have instilled something in me that's never left me. I am a part of the body. And what could be more important? What could be more worthy of our investment than glorifying God through participation in his body? I mean, really. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is fast approaching, church, when all that will matter in your life is whether through joyful obedience you chose to glorify God. That's all that's going to matter. And as a church, we remind each other of what really matters, right? That's why I need you because I get distracted, right? And I'm thinking about the game later today or, you know, where I need to go out to eat or, you know, how am I going to get my kids to be successful here? You know, I get distracted by all kinds of things and I need you to remind me what really matters, what's important. So as the church, we remind each other what matters, what counts, not not career, not money, not prestige, not how successful our kids are, um, but we spur one another on to love and good works. We encourage one another towards pursuing Jesus as part of his body, because in the end, that is the only thing that's going to matter. That's it. So let me close with two questions, and, and then we'll, we'll take our missions offering here in a minute. Um, First question is, is are, you, are you a part of God's universal church? Uh, like I said, you can go to church all your life and never be a part of it, right? You can show up every week until the day you die, and you can do all the church stuff and still not be a part of his church. Are you, have you trusted Jesus for your salvation? Have you put all of your faith and all of your hope in him? Have, have you died to yourself and given him the lordship of your life? And if not, then we plead with you that you would do that today. And we would love to meet with you. We would love to talk to you uh, more about that. And, and my second question is, if, if you are a believer, are you pursuing the glory of God and the health of the body by being a vital and a committed part of his local church? Are you doing that? Listen, I, I'm not here, to, I'm not here to, to, to just shame you or give you a guilt trip, but I'm here to say there's so much more that you're missing out on. And God created you for so much better than the biggest thing you look forward to is, you know, whether, you're, whether your kid's the best player on his team or not, right? There's so much more to life than that. God created you for so much bigger and greater things. He created your family for so much bigger and greater things than that. And so if, if you have treated the church very casually to this point, then could this be the day that you decide, hey, 
you know, whatever our life looks like in the future, we are going to be committed to being a part of the body of Christ because nothing else is more important than that. And we are, we are going to send the message to our kids loud and clear that there's nothing better we could be doing or investing in than glorifying God by being a part of his body. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, I, I, I confess for myself that, um, that so often I've been casual about your glory and about being a part of your body. Um, I've prioritized other things. I've gotten distracted. I've chased other things. God, I pray that you would bring us back. Um, Lord, I, I, pray, I pray that we would be a church that considers how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God, I pray that Northridge would always be absolutely and completely committed to glorifying you through the proclamation of the gospel. God, may we never veer from that. And, and may we here as individuals, and Father, I, I pray for, the, for all the other churches that are gathering in your name this morning. God, I pray that, that, we would, that you would convict us and challenge us and encourage us and remind us that you have created us to be a part of your body. God, do not let us take that lightly. But I pray that, that we would see there's nothing, there's nothing better, there's nothing, there's nothing more worthy of investing our time, our energy, our lives into than operating as part of your body and doing what you've called us and created us, Lord. So help us, help us do that. Help Northridge do that. Help, help the churches um, here in Lubbock and, and the churches gathering throughout the world, Lord, to do this, to live this. And I pray that, that the outsiders would look at the church and, and would see your radical love at work and would just give glory to you. And we ask this in Jesus. Amen.